Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions and provides unbiased answers. The chart is definitely in a downtrend and it's uh, it's definitely not cheap enough yet. Invest Talk. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022 edition, and I'm excited for this hour with you. And rarely does a day go by when we fail to hear at least one Invest Talk listener ask about investing in gold. So I know that this is a topic of interest, so I want to give a little long term perspective here. And in today's world, we obviously have fiat currencies, and gold is typically a store of value. And crypto is being argued as one as well, but uh, gold has been around a lot longer than than both. And as you can imagine, the history of currencies for accept, accepting payments is long and twisted and ebbs and it flows. And so let me give you that historical perspective. Now, the gold standard was first put into operation in the United Kingdom in 1821. Prior to that, silver had been mainly the, the principal monetary metal of the world. Now, this shift occurred because gold discoveries in Western North America had made gold plentiful. So there was a lot more gold to back currency to do business. And economies grow when the amount of money in uh, circulation grows, when that becomes tight, when liquidity, right? Because basically that's what that is. When the current amount of currency goes up, that's more liquidity in the system, more money, quote unquote, to engage in some sort of economic activity, okay? Now, in the full gold standard, this uh, which prevailed until 1914, gold could be bought or sold in unlimited quantities at a fixed price in convertible, convertible to paper money per unit weight of the metal. Now, ultimately, the gold standard ended uh, or only lasted from 1870 until the beginning outbreak of the World War I, 1914 in Europe. By 1937, not one country remained on the gold standard. Wartime finance requires a lot of money uh, to be put in circulation and under gold standard that becomes difficult. And obviously in 1971, we ended the convertibility here in the US of the dollar into gold. So that's a little history there on the gold standard. And uh, maybe we'll talk about that later today. But today, uh, I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this invest talk podcast with you hearing your finance and investment questions and giving you my unbiased answers and using perspective of over 20 plus years of investment experience and a ton of data to give you information to help you understand the opportunity and the risks in whatever you're thinking about doing and that's really what you have to do you have to weigh kind of the, the upside and the downside and it will be my goal to help you 
navigate this uh, the pitfalls of this more volatile market that we've seen. So I invite your phone calls and questions for our anytime listener line at 888 chart So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, I called last week about the Mullen and uh, that kind of torn to shreds. But anyways, I um, have another question regarding EVFM. I have about 6% in my profile. Um, it's the first control. It shot up right after the Rovers Wade overturn. So just wondering your thoughts about it and if it's a good stock to invest in. Thank you. Bye. All right. I think I remember your call earlier, a few days ago, and it was a biotech name. And <clears throat> this is another biotech name, another biotech name that's never made money. And I think that's your issue here. And you're buying companies that are very trading for their, their penny stocks, right? This trades 87 cents. Uh, yes, it's up over the, the recent past after the Roe v. Wade uh, ruling. Now, I don't know exactly what they do, um, but they're in the women's health product section. Uh, but I don't really need to know uh, because they've never made money that you continue to uh, grind lower. And you need to learn the first lesson of stock market investing is don't invest in these penny stocks. Everyone thinks they're quote unquote cheap and they look at the story and they bet on it, right? They think that's uh, going to solve the solve cancer or uh, cure the next uh, big disease. And 99.9% of them never do. They are just in business to sell more shares, do some research, and they typically just dilute shareholders into oblivion. And this is no, this is no uh, exception. And so what you need to do is start pivoting into real companies that ends up focusing on the ultimate share price that it's at now, but the share price compared to things like earnings and revenue and cash flow. Hopefully they have some of that. And this company has barely any of barely any revenue and certainly no positive cash flow or earnings. So you need to shift your focus away from the biotechs and biotechs are not going to be great investments in an environment where the cost of capital continues to go up. Remember, this is about tangible assets. This decade is going to be about investing in businesses with real tangible assets, real tangible businesses that are producing cash flows and dividends today, not about the pie in the sky vision of what cancer they're going to cure or what next great software they're going to develop. There's going to be those, but the vast majority of the names in the market today are, aren't going to be the ones developing them. So odds that you pick that one is very, very low. Okay. So in general, need to focus on businesses. And these are speculative assets. Now, my focus point today is based on this warning. Avoid this declining disruptor. And disruptor stocks go through four distinct phases. Two of them can be very dangerous. The first two are exciting and the next two are typically dangerous for uh, companies that can't stay ahead of the competition. So we're going to look at that. And I also have some other things to touch on. One is what are the areas that real estate, uh, the cities, the metro areas in the US that are kind of bucking the trend of downward price pressures. And we're going to look at those rankings. And then why did the 10 year move up dramatically yesterday and today? And we're going to 
highlight uh, those factors and why we're in more of a choppy interest rate environment, uh, going into a more choppy interest rate environment. And then lastly, how are companies adjusting their cost structure in an environment where liquidity is not as easy? Uh, individuals, consumers, and businesses aren't spending as freely as they were last year. And that means pressure on earnings. And you've seen that for the second quarter, earnings down slightly year over year. And that usually puts the CFOs and the C-suite into overdrive to figure out how to get back to some sort of growth and growth of, of earnings, especially. And one way to do that is to cut costs. So we're going to look on what they're talking about as well after reviewing the earnings announcements. So that's what's on my mind, but ultimately I want to know what is on your mind. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Now let's take a look at the market today. We're, the S&P was up 64 points, about 1.5%, and the strength was really on the growth side of the market. You had some earnings announcements that uh, you had some good counter-trend rallies, and we're starting to get to a level where if you were hoping for a rally to take some chips off the table, these this is the area where you start to incrementally make those decisions where maybe you're still down. You're probably not gonna get back to even for a lot of the names, especially if you're talking about companies that were high multiple growth names, went down 60, 70, 80%, and you, you're down 50% right now, you're probably not getting back to even. But as they rally, there's still now the ability to trim your position, take maybe a smaller loss, move that into positions that are more tangible, shall we say. Uh, into businesses that really can produce longer term actual true goods and services that are in demand today. And so the these counter trend rallies in growth over value are the, the times where you start to rebalance the portfolio. And so uh, I would think about that. Now we did get above the 100 day moving average for the second time in the past four days. So that's that's positive that we can go uh, a, a bit higher and it wouldn't shock me to see another let's call it a two to 4% rally from here to the upside in the S&P. But guess what? A lot of people try to get too cute and they try to pick the top and it's very difficult, very, very difficult to find, you know, where this bear market rally is going to peter out at. It may continue to, to, to go up, may continue for another 10%. That's certainly a possibility as well. But when you, there's an old saying, my grandpa taught me, buy when there's sellers and sell when there's buyers. When there was a ton of sellers, everyone was freaking out you probably were, were praying for a, a rally. And now you're getting that rally and you need to be aware of the economic backdrop and the multiples that the market and many stocks are still trading at. Now we're heading into a break and we are through Wednesday this week. So only two more trading days and things are moving fast. So I welcome your finance and investment questions at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose 
of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Hi, I'm interested to invest in some farmlands, great stocks. I like Gladstone land. Ticker symbol is L-A-N-D. Can I have your opinion, please? Thank you so much. Bye. All right. This is Gladstone Land Corp. And this is a REIT real estate investment trust that has uh, owns 164 farms, leased to 85 separate corporate and independent farmers. Uh, they're in Arizona, California, Florida, Michigan, and New England. About Yields about 2.1%. And earnings expectations for this year or funds from operation expectations for this year and next year are coming down, but still growth over last year and expected to continue to move to all-time highs. The problem is that it's trading at a pretty steep multiple. Uh, even if you go on based on forward-looking earnings, it's uh, probably no north of 30, which is kind of on the high end of uh, longer-term trends. Enterprise value to EBITDA is about 26 and Historically, it ranges from the 40s all the way down to the low 20 or the, yeah, I guess around 20. So from that perspective, it's not too far off. Let's look at some other price to sales ratio about 10 times, which historically that's a little high, usually trades closer to six or seven. Um, and technically it's now in a downtrend below all the major moving averages that blow the 100 and 200. Um, so overall, I like what you're looking at from the perspective of trying to gain exposure to farmland. Um, but this, the technicals are not really lining up here. Um, and it's still trading at a pretty high multiple to sales. Um, and, and I would probably be a, a bit patient. Uh, now, where would I pick this up though? Cause there's always a price that it's worthwhile to pick it up. Uh, right around, right high teens. Right now it's at 26 and change. If this gets into the high teens, I would set your alert at 20. It's below 20. That's when you start to think about picking up L-A-N-D, Gladstone Land Corp. Thanks for the call. Now we're heading into a break, but uh, I'm ready for your call. I know this has been an eventful week so far. A lot of earnings and a lot of gyrations in the bond market as well as the equity market. It's probably a surprise rally for many. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. I want to know how are you thinking about this market? What opportunities are you looking at? What asset classes are you interested in or concerned about? So I welcome your calls at 888-99-CHART.
Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. We're going to go up to the Bay Area and talk to Dan. He wants to talk about BHP. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Hi, uh, Justin. I've got a very small position, and I was thinking about buying more, but I wasn't sure. But the dividends are really high. I didn't know if it was a, if it's safe, and um, if you had any concerns with regards to it being in um, in China and some of the other countries that may be hard to um, to manage. Yeah, well, that's clearly why the stock continues to trade at relatively low multiples. Now, remember. Commodity names in general trade trade at low PEs, low price of sales, et cetera, because they're not their business is so inconsistent. Uh, they're price takers, typically, versus price makers. Oh, think of a Apple, right? Apple can kind of pick their own price, uh, whereas if you're a commodity producer, whatever the market is. Now, one thing you have to look at with their dividend, though, is it's recently come down. Um, so don't ex- I wouldn't bank on that uh, large dividend to be sustained longer term. Uh, and there certainly is worries of what's happening in China uh, because this is based in Australia and they supply iron ore, copper and metallurgical coal. And China has been their biggest uh, their, their biggest customer over the years. And obviously what happened with covid and and uh, basically Australia blaming uh, covid on uh, the Chinese um, uh, market, not market, Chinese um, uh, gain of function research being done in uh, Wuhan. And the Chinese government didn't like that. And so they put some sanctions on Australia. And that impacts companies that are exporting out of Australia. So certainly some some impact there. But you're getting it at a pretty cheap price. You're looking at uh, enterprise value even at four, uh, which historically doesn't trade at a high multiple, but four is near the low. So it is pretty cheap, um, but it's cheap for that, that, that risk, uh, geopolitical risk. So having some of this in your portfolio is not bad. Uh, they're still a very large company, $134 billion market cap, and they have a minimal debt, which I like. So overall, I think it's worth, I think it's worth the risk as part of a diversified set of commodity producers uh, and the fact that they are diverse themselves and the fact that it's not just iron ore, it's not just uh, metallurgical coal, it's energy coal as well. Uh, They have nickel uh, as well, which is needed in the production of batteries for EVs, et cetera. So I like their diversity. um, And if you put a part of a diverse set of commodity producers, I think it makes sense. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on this warning. Avoid this declining disruptor. And I I highlighted this uh, because it matches up almost word for word with my framing of what happens with growth companies. And there are four distinct phases. One is the introduction where companies come out of nowhere, never heard of them, and they start to make little splashes. The introduction period. Think of, they use Netflix as an example. So 
Netflix came early on and they were competing with Blockbuster and you can mail in your discs, et cetera. And then they hit another next phase where they've innovated and created something distinctly new and people get excited about it. It's the growth phase. Okay. And people adopt this new way of doing business and revenues skyrocket because they're taking market share from the old players that are doing it the old way. And this is a new player that's doing it the new way. And oftentimes they're the only player that's doing it that way because they were the innovator in that space. So think of Netflix, how long did it take for streaming services to really come on board? It took a while and Netflix had a dominant position within that. But as time goes on, technology advances, more and more companies try to replicate that new technology. They start to hit the maturity phase and the industry in general starts to hit a maturity phase and it becomes a lot more competitive. So that's when companies have to have good leadership and it, they can't rest on their laurels of being the only player that's doing it one particular way. And that's basically what's happened with Netflix recently, where Apple's of the world, Disney's of the world, Amazon, etc., are have launched their own streaming services. And they have their own infrastructure, their own content, and they're doing it their way and taking market share from Netflix. And last earnings announcement, Netflix lost a million subscribers. And they're down 75% since October. And that's why it's in this maturity phase. Now, the maturity phase can go of two ways. The maturity phase can typically typically uh, mature into a blue chip company that, yes, they have competition, but they're still the best of breed. Think of Apple, right? Think of the growth phase of the iPhone, and they've been copied by a lot of players, Samsung, for example, and and uh, and Google with Android, but they're still the the creme de la creme of in the smartphone smartphone market, and so they've turned from maturity into kind of steady, consistent growth. Not big, but steady, consistent growth. Or you go the other way, and others take your market share, and then you go into a decline phase, and unfortunately a lot of the growth stocks, the exciting names that were once in these huge growth phases are unlikely to enter that uh, slow growth phase. They're going to go into decline. Now we're heading to a break at 888.99 chart. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Next, Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. The housing market correction has taken an unexpected turn. Now, when it comes to housing transactions, monthly payments are everything. And when mortgage rates spike, the Fed can trigger a steep correction. That story tomorrow, but for now, let's tackle a caller question from 888-99-CHART. Hello, Duncan from New York. You guys are totally awesome. Uh, I just can't thank you guys enough. Long-time listener for about uh, two years. Since I've become a student with uh, the stock market, you guys have definitely helped me out with the value side. 
I also follow some mentors from the growth side, and I'm part of one of their memberships. They have reported on this stock, SoFi. It is S-O-F-I, SoFi Technologies. What I would just like to quickly read over is their latest report earnings of what that mentor told me, and I just want to see what your thoughts are and which is noise and which is something that I should pay attention to. The three things that they mentioned in this newsletter was SoFi reported an adjusted net revenue by up 50% year over year to $356 million. Adjusted EBITDA was up 81% year over year to $20 million. And for the second half of 2022, management expects adjusted net revenue of $835 million, representing a 50% growth and adjusted EBITDA of $80 million. I would just like your two cents on how this mentor has presented his claim of why SoFi would be a buy and just want to know your two cents. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye. Well, this is an easy one. Number one, all he's focusing on is revenue. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, that there are a lot of companies that have grown in size and market cap on the story of growth and have not been able to prove out their business model to become profitable, meaning, yes, revenue is going up. It's a growth at all costs type of mentality, and they've been unable to get to sustainable profitability so that they don't have to continue to issue more and more shares to fund their, their business, because that's what you have to do. You have to borrow money or issue more shares. And SoFi over the last uh, year or so has gone from a little less than 800 million shares to 915 million shares. So they're just issuing more shares to sustain those those losses. And then on the adjusted EBITDA side, and that's your key key tell there, this isn't EBITDA, this is adjusted EBITDA. And guess what? Adjusted EBITDA can mean a lot of different things. How are they adjusting it? EBITDA is in a gap accounting number. Adjusted EBITDA is not a gap accounting number. Now, gap for everyone else is generally accepted accounting principles, meaning if you look at a number and it's gap, it's been calculated based on a certain set of principles that are applied to every company. When it's an adjusted EBITDA, that's made up. We're adjusting it because of X. We're not including this expense. We're not including that. So the adjusted EBITDA is whatever kind of you want it to be based on how you make up that version of adjusted. Okay. So... I don't buy this. Yes, they're growing, but they continue to burn capital. Uh, their free cash flow continues to be negative. Trailing 12 months, it's negative nearly $3 billion, and it's just getting worse. It's not getting better. It was in the fourth quarter, it was trailing uh, 12 months was negative 1.4 billion. Currently, trailing 12 months is negative 2.77 billion. So it's got a little pop in the stock, probably a pop to sell, not to buy. Thanks for the call. Next up, let's talk a bit about the Fed announcement, or not Fed announcement, the move in interest rates. Because since the Fed announcement last week, you've seen the 10-year decidedly move down on the statement by Jerome Powell that 
they will respond flexibly to forthcoming economic data. And that was read by investors as a sign the Fed will be less hawkish, less just barreling down the aggressive inflation-fighting path at a, at a fast rate, which they've, they've been at for the past uh, few meetings. And that moved the 10-year down uh, from a peak last week of about nearly 3.1% to a low yesterday of 2.55%. So nearly a 50 basis point drop in just a couple of weeks, which is a pretty big move on the 10-year. But yesterday you had a very big move higher, and that was all because of three separate appearances by Fed board members. And it was a change in sentiment from what Jerome Powell was saying. And this was from Fed Governor Loretta Mester, Mary Daly, and Charles Evans. Now, Daly said that a pivot to rate cuts, which the market has priced in in the first half of 2023, is not their, quote, modal outlook. And she said, the outlook, I think, is most likely is really that we raise interest rates and then we hold them for a while at whatever level we think it's appropriate. Now, the market is taking that as hawkish, but I, I really don't see it that way. I think they are seeing that they're going to pause at some point in the probably not too distant future, but they're not looking out nine months or so, six, nine months and saying, we're going to cut. Why? Because the Fed doesn't think that far ahead. They're not good at understanding the impact of various factors, including their own policy, on the economy nine months from now. Whereas the market is a lot better at that. And so if the market is pricing in Fed rate cuts, I believe the market more than the Fed, especially when you're looking out nine months. Okay. Now, Mester and Charles Evans, they kind of said the same thing, except for Evans said that 75 basis points could be the move in September, while the current expectation is 50 basis points. But once again, that's still kind of wishy-washy. And he said, we have more work to do because we have not seen the turn in inflation. And that once again is not, not something that the Fed is, is typically good at, really understanding the, the price trends or the economic trends going further out. They're very reactive. They're not proactive. And if you look at the ISM manufacturing index, prices paid index that came in on Monday, that was the biggest drop in 12 years. Well, today we had the US ISM services prices paid index, and that had its second consecutive, oh, sorry, not consecutive, second, one, two, three, third consecutive drop in prices paid. And now we're at prices paid uh, going back to February of last year, the lowest level of prices paid on the services index since February of last year. Remember, we didn't start hearing about inflation pressures, inflation problems till the latter part of last year. And so if we're at the prices paid index level of February of last year, then that's not that high of an, an underlying inflation figure. That's probably closer to three or 4%, not seven, eight, 9%. And so by the time we get through September, almost assuredly, we're going to have decidedly decided turn in the the inflation outlook, even though 
Loretta Mester says, we have more work to do because we've not seen the turn in inflation. Well, guess what? They're not good at seeing the turn in inflation, just like they didn't understand transitory last year. So I wanted to kind of address that in the recent market reaction. And what was interesting today was a 10-year, it rose again early in the day, but it closed relatively flat. So I don't think the market's starting to really buying into that change in narrative that they're trying to spin. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their question quickly. And we're going to talk to, or we're going to look at Max Payne 101's question. So they bought Seva, C-E-V-A, over a year ago based on 5G infrastructure and the Build Back Better bill. It was also a Motley Fool recommendation. They make money, but the stock is going nowhere. I'm down 40%. Should I butt hold or cut my losses? And this is uh, another one of those story stocks, right? Talking about 5G, getting your recommendation from Motley Fool, not, not great places to look. Okay. And this is a company, yes, they're growing, but their earnings are not growing nearly as well. The earnings in 2018 are 53 cents, 2019, 59 cents, 2020, 60 cents, 2021, 65 cents. And this year expected to make 81 cents, but those earnings expectations are coming down as well. No dividend, $900 billion market, sorry, $900 million market cap. And it's trading based on forward-looking earnings. 45, 50 times, and those earnings expectations are coming down. So this is a growthy stock trading at high multiple, and I wouldn't get excited about owning it. Uh, you are getting a rally now with all the kind of growthier names, up four and a quarter percent today. And I would be looking to sell uh, on this rally. Now, where is it going to hit major resistance? Let me give you a number on that. Uh, currently, it's trading at about 39. First major resistance, 44. 44, if you get there, I'd be out. Take your lot, cut your losses, move on, invest in companies that are not trading at crazy multiple. This one is trading at an enterprise value to even of 45 times way too high. You want that in the teens or lower. Uh, so I'm going to pass on this and I would uh, focus on, yeah, that sell zone right in the mid forties. I would be selling and moving on. Now we're moving through the hottest summer days and this time of year, market volatility tends to heat up as well. So this uh, is just another reminder that it makes sense to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, for a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to meeting. I can help you unpack whether your portfolio is positioned well for this market environment and what potential changes you could and should make. And uh, maybe we can help you directly, or this is just more of an indirect advice, and, and you go take action. It's really up to you. But either way, we, we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we practice parallel investing along with our clients. So this is uh, truly different, and we'd love to help you in any way. Now, the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Now, let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart Hi, this is Dave from New Hampshire. I'm calling about a mutual fund, and the ticker symbol is PFORX. 
it's an international bond fund. And I'm wondering what you thought of that uh, as a, an overall investment and how our current uh, and future, near-term future environment in the markets might affect that. I wasn't sure because it was bonds. If you could uh, comment on that, I'd appreciate it. And I really like your show. Thanks. Bye. All right. This is the PIMCO International U.S. Dollar Hedged Institutional Fund. So this is a bond fund. Expense ratio is about 0.52%, which is for an international bond fund, that's probably about average. So that expense ratio isn't high or, or too low. Its effective duration is about seven years. And so that's probably the biggest issue I have is that kind of on the longer term of the inter, if you, intermediates, more like three to 10 years, and this is closer to that 10 year mark. And so I worry a bit about that. Now, the good thing is it's US dollar hedged. So when you're investing in international bonds, that's one thing where you're, you have currency risk. If the, the bonds that you're buying are denominated in that other currency and the currency, uh, that a currency falls in price versus the dollar, when you translate that back into dollars, that uh, is not a good thing. Uh, but this is hedge. They hedge away that currency risk. Uh, it's obviously complex, but they do that. And so that's certainly helped help the situation uh, as of late. Uh, but once again, the effective duration is pretty long. The average credit quality is pretty good. Let's look at the performance. Uh, where are we here? There we go. The performance so far this year. Let's try to get this loaded up. There we go. Doing pretty well. Down about 5.7%, whereas the index as a whole is down 7.35%. 7.35%. So doing uh, much better. And most of the years, it does better than their overall category and the overall uh, index. So, you know, this is a, a pretty good fund. Morningstar gives it five out of five stars and gold rating. Um, but you are taking some duration risk, and that's why you've seen it decline. So uh, for foreign bond exposure, I think this is pretty good. Now, your yield isn't fantastic, only about uh, turning 12 months, only about 1.75%. So that probably worries me the most is that, uh, and that's probably because the cost of the dollar hedge is uh, eating into the yield. And that's why your yield is probably relatively low. So overall, good in international bond exposure, but should be very, very small percentage of any portfolio. Now, this is the best talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you have a question, I encourage you to pick up the phone and ask your question at 888-99-CHART. For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations. You found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Brandon in Northern Virginia. So I was just curious what you thought of the home building sector. Um, in particular, I'm looking at NBR Homes. I'll look forward to hearing your answer later on. Thank you. All right, I like this one. NVR. And the reason I like this is because it trades at $4,279 per share. And a lot of people would say, oh, that's too much. Look how expensive this company is. It's trading at over $4,000 per share. Well, guess what? This company is cheaper than the vast majority of companies that are trading under $5 per share. Okay. 
Why? Because they're supposed to make $477 per share this year. Now earnings are expected to go down next year to a little under $400 per share, but still trading at roughly nine times forward earnings. And longer term, their return equity is very, very strong. And what makes this a bit different than a lot of the home builders is that they don't own the land directly. Uh, I believe I remember reading about this. I forgot exactly how they do it, but I think they buy basically call options on uh, pieces of, of land that they're able to execute on when they're they're ready to purchase. So they don't get caught with land that um, you know they they don't they don't have that they have to sit on, right? And so. Long term, their strategy has worked very, very well, and the return equity has been consistently increasing over the last decade plus. So uh, they had they had a downturn in 06, 07, 08, just like the whole industry. Um, but they've been longer term steadily uh, just producing cash flow, producing earnings for uh, for shareholders. No dividend, but just uh, a great performing uh, home builder, and probably one of the best in this industry. So if you can get over that $4,200 price tag, uh, this is a great company to own. That's NVR Inc. Now let's pivot to the housing market a bit and talk about how low cost cities are faring much, much better in the environment of higher interest rates and remote and hybrid working schedules. And this is pushing people to uh, relocated for cheaper housing and a better quality of life. And uh, there is a realtor.com emerging housing market index. And I wanted to go over it for the second quarter. Now, overall existing home sales have now dropped for five consecutive months, but there are some metro areas that are bucking the trend. And it's mainly the small cities. Uh, the top 20 cities in the ranking have an average population size of about 400,000. And all of the top 20 markets in the index fall into two categories, affordable or outdoorsy, affordable or outdoorsy. And they rank 300 of the biggest metro areas in the U.S. And it incorporates economic and lifestyle data, real estate taxes, unemployment, wages, commute time, and small business loans. And the top ranked markets in the second quarter had the faster, had faster home sales, higher wages, and shorter commute times than the overall market. And three of the top 20 markets in the second quarter were in North Carolina. Burlington was number two, Raleigh number six, Durham Chapel Hill number 12. Number one was Eckhart, Indiana, you know, Johnson City, Tennessee was number three, Fort Wayne, Indiana was number four, Billings, Montana, Raleigh, North Carolina, like I said, Rapid. Rapid City, South Dakota, Northport, Florida, Topeka, Kansas. And what's interesting, we had a California city sneak in there or metro area, Vis Visalia, uh, which is uh, up near, uh, what's that? Santa Barbara. Uh, now, this real estate brokerage Redfin said 32.6% of shoppers, percent of shoppers on the platform searched primarily for homes outside their metro area in the second quarter. That's up from 32.3% in the first quarter and up from 26% from before the pandemic. So you're seeing over five, what, six, six and a half percent more home buyers are looking outside of, of all the home buyers are looking outside their area. And you know, the, the housing market's in a transition and some markets are gonna hit, be hurt more than others. 
uh, and you're, what you're starting to see a big change in this recent quarter was vacation destinations started to fall. So Naples, Florida, um, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Cape Coral, Florida, those actually weakened much more, even though they uh, oftentimes are relatively low cost and outdoorsy. Uh, the fact that they were vacation and kind of overpriced, uh, they struggled. What were the worst areas in this index? New York, New York, New York, <laughs> Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, Odessa, Texas, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and Jackson, Michigan. Those are the five on the bottom of this list. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And our official Invest Talk downloads count should cross over 44 million Friday night or Saturday. So it's exciting news, and we thank you for that. And you can find your podcasts anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.